0: Jeremiah. We are going to wrap it up today with a look at the last chapter, but more so we're going to get into Lamentations chapter 3 as we sort of round out Jeremiah. Also, what I'm going to do today is I'm happy to take some questions at the end of the service, uh, at the end of the talk, if you've got any questions from Jeremiah at all that have occurred to you over the last 15, 16 weeks, or even out of today's talk. We're going to have a few minutes if you want to share those questions. We'll do our best to um, give an answer towards them. Uh, But today we are going to uh, wrap up here. I'll just um, get my portion of the Bible. Oop, gone too far. Okay, do you want to throw that photo up, please, Hope? Okay, um, just have a look at that photo There's a uh, man from Syria, not taken too long ago. Uh, what do you see? What do you see when you see something like that? I think you see hopelessness. I think you see despair. I think you see brokenness. I think you see sorrow. I think you probably see a whole range of other words that you might uh, think of that would communicate pain and suffering as you think about that person and wonder what's going through his mind as he sits there uh, amongst that rubble. That's where we're going to find Jeremiah today. We're going to find him in the middle of really intense suffering, really intense pain and intense uh, challenge in the middle of his life. But that's not where God's going to leave him at that point. If you've got your Bibles, uh, go to Lamentations chapter 3, and we're going to read the uh, first 33 verses uh, from Lamentations. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me, enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone, and he has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in the hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness... He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. And is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good for those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust that there may be yet hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Father, we uh, come before you this morning uh, as your people. As your people for those, Lord, who put their trust in you, turned away from sin in this life, and are now living for you, Lord. We come to you today, Father, and we hear this lament. We hear this uh, grief and sorrow that Jeremiah... Calls out before us, and we ask and pray today that, Holy Spirit, you would come and open up the truth of your word to us now. Uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, a mind to understand and a heart to receive. And I pray that we grow in the likeness and the image of Christ as we think about uh, pain and challenge and suffering in Jeremiah's world, Lord, and also in our world. Uh, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we reached the end of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a really important uh, book of the Bible. It actually helps us to see the working of God as He carries out His sovereign salvation plans uh, from the beginning of Genesis right through to uh, the book of Revelation. So uh, Jeremiah also helps us to fill in the background for our brokenness of humanity that we see so evidenced in our own lives and in the world around about us, in our failing to worship God as we should, as our supreme uh, creator. Jeremiah also helps us to see how desperately we need Jesus, how desperately we need Jesus to be reconnected back to God and to live the life that he's called us to live and to give us the power to live that life. Today, though, as we wrap up Jeremiah, I want us to look at it through the eyes. Perhaps you can put that photo back up again, Hope. Uh, Through the eyes of someone who's sitting among the rubble of Jerusalem. Babylon has come and destroyed the city and the great temple, and now we're sitting on a pile of broken, bricks, looking around at burnt-out buildings. What does that person see? What does that person feel? What does this person think? And how does this person respond in the context of God as they take it all in? And what we'll see out of this, as as we look at this, we'll see a glorious hope that God gives, a glorious hope that God gives, a hope that is indestructible. Despite everything else being in destruction around about us, this hope is indestructible. No matter what you're facing, or no matter what you've been through, or no matter what you're going to go through in life, God gives this indestructible hope. First of all, let's just do a really quick recap to sort of see where we've come from through the book of Jeremiah over these 16 or 17 weeks. Jeremiah is chosen by God to be a prophet or spokesman for God, to call the people back to repentance, to holy living and God-honoring living. Jeremiah's words will be for pulling down, tells it at the start of the book, but also for building up. He's going to pull some things down, but he's going to build up as well. He did lots of pulling down, as we look at that through the book of Jeremiah. He courageously called out their false, hypocritical living time and time again. He called out the false priests, the false prophets, the false royalty of the day, and also the people living Uh, hypocritical lives. He didn't hold back. We saw lots of that through Jeremiah. He called a spade a spade. What God told him to say, he said it. When the people were worshipping false idols, Jeremiah called that out. He did this for probably more than 40 years, sort of the span of the book of Jeremiah, and in oftentimes it got him into trouble. People didn't like what Jeremiah had to say. They didn't like what they were hearing. He was beaten and thrown into prison more than once. Once dropped into a muddy cistern in the the bottom of the uh, city, sinking in the mud and had to be rescued from that. But Jeremiah also built them up, holding out to them God's blessing for them, God's way of blessing. This is the way you should walk. This is the way God calls you to. He continually spoke out God's direction of go in this path and then there you will find his blessing in that way of life. We're also told in Jeremiah 29, 19, that God had sent a number of different prophets over the years and centuries beforehand, telling the people, turn back from this life and follow my ways. God patiently warned them the destruction he would bring if they didn't turn back. So they were told numbers of times to do this. But the people never listened to God. Time and time again, they refused to obey God's word, as we saw so many times through this book of Jeremiah. And finally, we see it come to pass at the end of this book. As Joel read out for us before in chapter 52, it's a recounting there of the fall of Jerusalem and the deportation or the exiling of these um, people away to Babylon. Babylon had besieged the city for around about 18 months at this particular time and their tactic being is to actually cut off supply to the city, starve them of food and starve them of water. And the ultimate point is either to starve the city to death or they surrender because they want food and water is what they were trying to do. Babylon came in and carried out a wholesale massacre on these people. They set Jerusalem alight. They broke down the walls and they destroyed the temple as much as they could. They just actually decimated the place. For Jerusalem, at this particular time, it was shut the doors and turn off the lights. It was all over. Job done. That's sort of a recap of where they are. Now we pick it up now as my reading comes from today out of the book of Lamentations. For some of you might be thinking, what's Lamentations got to do with this book of Jeremiah? Why have we sort of jumped to Lamentations when we were sort of thinking about Jeremiah? Uh, This book uh, is intricately linked with the book of Jeremiah. We don't exactly know who the author of of Lamentations is but probably 90% of most scholars would say we think it's Jeremiah because it really is a lamentation or a lament or a song or a poem, probably not a song sung in joy, but a poem um, talking about the pain and sorrow of seeing this fallen city of Jerusalem. Lamentations, there's five poems there or five laments, and it's all to do with this fall of Jerusalem at the, uh, at the, the taking over of Babylon. So we're going to say here, Jeremiah has written this. He's writing here a a poem of grief and sorrow and mourning as he thinks back on Jerusalem. And in every aspect here, Jeremiah himself is a broken man. Probably very similar to that picture we saw there of that Syrian man. So we've got to try and think, what's he looking at? What's happened in this city? What's he seen? What What are the things that are going through his mind here? Now, I've got some other pictures here. We can throw those up as well. These are pictures from Syria, some before and after shots of, uh, of the Syrian civil war that has taken place over the last uh, probably seven, eight, ten years there. Uh, it's just a disaster. It's just utter devastation. when you see uh, what's happening. The, this city, some of those cities there, at one point was, was a city that was bustling and thriving with colour and life and vitality some of those cities in Syria. Now they're barren, they're burnt out, blown apart, and they are deserted. Where once the laughter of children and the hum of conversation carried on through the week, in those cities it's now just an eerie silence of the wind whistling through those broken, demolished buildings. It's really like a holocaust in every way. And what we have is Jeremiah sitting in the rubble, contemplating all the horror that he's witnessed over the years of what's taken place there. He's seen death and misery on untold scales in Jerusalem. He's seen the total demolishment, really, of that city. And what he does here in Lamentations, he pours out this deep, painful lament of feeling, this feeling of every moment that he's experienced as he sees Jerusalem. And he says there in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. And this in 4 and 5 he says, He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's expressing here this grief that he feels. And again, in 16 and 18 of chapter 3, he says this. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. I would encourage you to read through Lamentations really slowly and really carefully and feel what Jeremiah is trying to communicate to us as he does that. There's there's real pain here that he's expressing through these uh, five laments in that book. He's saying here, I've got nothing left. I've got nothing left. I'm gutted. I'm numb. I'm stunned. I can't even think. I'm filled with despair. I can see no reason to go on. I don't even know what to do next as he sits amongst this rubble and contemplates everything that has collapsed in his world over the past few years. And he says there at the end of verse 18, he says, I've got no strength to carry on and I've got no hope. He's a broken man. Let me say a couple of words here about this brokenness. We're all aware of it, The pain and despair is very real and is very strong. It surely is. These are real emotions that are incredibly powerful that work within us. The Bible is a really honest book very honest book. It's a very raw book. It doesn't disregard how we feel or how we think or what we're facing. The Bible acknowledges right where we are at, right what we are facing, in the middle of seasons where they are the deepest, darkest valleys we go through. It's a very real book, as you see it poured out here in Lamentations. And it's actually totally right that we acknowledge those feelings of pain and despair. That's who we are as human beings. We feel this. We experience this. We go through this. We should express it. We should acknowledge it. Because we are nowhere called in the Bible, called to be these heartless, cold, stoic people who don't feel pain or grief. That's not what God calls us to be. People who don't feel this or don't acknowledge it or don't sort of experience in our lives. That's not the call of the Bible to us. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of lack of faith when you're feeling despair or you're feeling discouragement or you feel the pain of suffering. God wants us to be real, authentic people who feel this and experience this and deal with this. And this is precisely where Jeremiah is as we look at him in Lamentations. He feels like an abandoned, burnt-out wreck of a car just discarded on the side of the road. He's just broken and he's empty. Jeremiah, though, hasn't lost his mind in all of this. He hasn't lost his mind. He understands here that it's God who is in control of all these painful circumstances that he's witnessed and experienced. It says it in verse 37, 38 for us in Lamentations. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Jeremiah soundly recognizes God's sovereignty here in every circumstance that has taken place that he's experienced in Jerusalem over those 40 years, and particularly the last couple of years, where he's experienced this massacre by the Babylonian um, army. He understands God's hand is in that. God stands over everything that takes place in this world. When evil is allowed by God, when pain and suffering is allowed by God, he uses it to fulfill his purposes. There is no unrestrained evil whatsoever that takes place in this universe. The devil, Satan, doesn't have a free hand to do what he likes when he likes. He's absolutely on the leash of God, and God has the final say on how much pain, suffering, despair, or evil takes place in this world. Jeremiah knew that God was in control. So in the midst of this really broken, seemingly out of control, painful world that Jeremiah is experiencing at this time, and he was a real part of, he did keep a sound mind, which is really, really important, in this broken place that Jeremiah finds himself in. As Jeremiah holds this sound mind, there's a really big change that's about to happen to him as he begins to pull this into gear. And this has to be one of the most, I guess, powerful transitions in the Bible when we actually begin to see here where Jeremiah transitions. He goes from being broken feeling, experiencing this pain and trial and tribulation, broken in that, but shifting to an unbroken point of view. A vision that he can now see and a thought that he has, which is unbroken in comparison to the broken world that he lives in. And it's a critical factor here. It's absolutely crucial that Jeremiah didn't let his feelings, his experience as it were, go unchecked and run out of control so his emotions and feelings begin to control Jeremiah. It's so important. That's exactly what Jeremiah is about to demonstrate for us here. He got his mind to think right in the middle of all these emotions and feelings just going all over the place in grief and brokenness. He got his mind to think right and to call truth into this situation. Look at me here in verse 21, and we see this transition. He says there this, But this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He's going through the whole range of emotions, and he stops, and he gathers himself, but he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Can you see what he's done? He's grabbed a hold of his mind, he's grabbed a hold of his thoughts, and he's being able to pull some order back into what's happening to him. And what he's done here is called truth to his mind. And this truth has begun to breathe fresh hope into his mind once again. Just like a cool summer breeze refreshes us with its coolness from the heat of the day, so Jeremiah now, by recalling to his mind refreshes his heart and mind despite the heat of pain and suffering that he's feeling. He stops and recalls this truth. So what is this truth? What is this that Jeremiah has recalled? Let's have a look at it in verses 22 and 24. Because this is what he's recalling to his mind. He says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, because of all that, I will hope in him. Four things. Four things that Jeremiah is talking about in that passage that he's recalled to mind. That he's got his mind thinking right amidst all these feelings getting carried away with anxiety and grief and pain and suffering, he's pulled his mind back into gear to think clearly and carefully upon truth. First when he says, Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He's recognised that God's steadfast love never ceases. He's saying, despite the circumstances I'm in, They will never overcome God's steadfast, saving love for me. In other words, it doesn't matter what I'm dealing with in life, what I'm facing, what challenge it may be, it can never separate me from God's steadfast, saving love. It doesn't cease. It won't stop. The Apostle Paul had this to say in Romans chapter 8 about the same thing. He says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, pull your circumstances and experience into that, nor things present, nor things to come, maybe the challenges down the track, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul saw the same thing. Nothing can separate us from God's saving love saw their God's mercies, that they never come to an end. Jeremiah's brought to mind this truth. God's mercies will never come to an end. There isn't going to come a day when God turns off the switch and stops the conveyor belt of mercy just flowing into this world in our present time. God's mercies are new every day. They're new every morning. In fact, every day we welcome new mercies into our lives. You may not have experienced them or you may not even think they are, but they are. When we wake up and the sun is shining, praise God for his mercy. When we wake up and the rain is falling to water the crops in the land, praise God for his mercy. It's a new mercy. We wake up and I'm alive, that's God's new mercy. I can breathe. It's a gift of God's mercy. Did you all have breakfast this morning? Probably most of you did. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. It's a gift from God. His mercies never come to an end. God's faithfulness. Jeremiah saw that as well. Great is your faithfulness. He's brought that to mind, that God, you are faithful. God, I can trust in you. The very fact that I can sit here amongst this rubble here in Jerusalem is a witness to your faithfulness to me. You've kept me. You've sustained me through all this challenge. I've seen mayhem and destruction on every side, but you've brought me through it all. Jeremiah can see new mercies and great faithfulness in God. God, you haven't let me down. Your word is true. Everything you said would happen did happen. I can trust you in everything you say. God, great is your faithfulness. He brings this truth to mind. And the fourth thing here he says that it brings to mind, I think, is massively powerful. If we can just grasp it, and it's really difficult to grasp. But particularly in dealing with pain and turmoil in our lives, we can grasp this, that the Lord is my portion, is what he says. The Lord is my portion. What's Jeremiah saying here when he says that? That the Lord is my portion. The word portion there is like my lot in life. This is my lot. This is where I am. It could be in maybe this sense. Oh, I'm just a factory worker grinding out every day. That's just my lot in life could be like that for some people. But Jeremiah is saying, no, my light is God. My portion is God. God is my portion. God is my inheritance. God is my treasure. God is my life. I'm not grinding it out as such because God is my life. So what does that mean as we think about that? From the perspective perhaps of Jeremiah in, uh, in Jerusalem at the time, he's saying, even if Everything is stripped away from me and I lose it all in this life where plenty of people would have in Jerusalem at that time. If my home is blasted away by the Babylonians and my family is murdered or exiled to Babylon, God, I still have you. That can't be taken away because you are my portion. If my farm has been burnt to a crisp by these Babylonian raiders, And I'm taken to another country to work at a place I never ever wanted to go to. I still have God as my portion. I still have God as my treasure. I've lost everything, but I haven't lost really everything, the true everything in God. Now, this week, I was trying to think how do you communicate this? How do you communicate this aspect of God is my treasure? that Christ is my supreme delight. And I struggled with this. I really did. I I couldn't seem to find the right or the adequate words to try and describe what this looks like or how this might be. I couldn't find words big enough to actually paint a big enough picture of what this really is, that God is our treasure. And as I thought on this, there actually is no words in our human faculty or our human mind to describe this treasure. When Peter was talking to the the, uh, exiled Jews in, in his book, he said, joy unspeakable. He just said it's a joy, but you just can't describe this joy with words. An infinite God is beyond our description by finite minds. But I did see this. I did see this passage in Romans, which I think helps us to maybe grasp a little bit of it here. Romans chapter 11 says this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment. How inscrutable his ways. I probably still didn't give it justice then. Paul isn't using high sounding words here to describe God, is he? I mean, they're fairly some big words, but they're words. But what we can't see is Paul's feeling in this sense of how he communicates that passage there. That O is like a groan. It's probably like a groan of frustration because he can't express in words big enough the riches of God, the depth of God. Because God wants to be felt and experienced as our portion, and as our treasure. Not just something we express in words, but God wants to be felt. God wants to be experienced. It can be challenging when we think about that. I feel God. It's hard to describe that. This is the the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit deep down inside of us, that we feel this joy. We feel this something we can't describe, but it's amazing. About God. To grow that feeling, that experience, truly we must think about who God is. And what we know about him. And the glories of the gospel and what he's done for us. But the Holy Spirit takes those things and translates it from just mere mental facts or knowledge into something we feel in our heart. And it's felt probably the most in the middle of suffering. God doesn't just become something up here in the middle of suffering. God becomes something here and all over me and through me and in me. I actually feel God as much as I can't put that into words. And you don't experience that in its depth until you get to these hard places. You've feel that God is absolutely real and he is my portion, he is my life, he is my treasure. I'm reading a book at the moment about a young African girl who, in Eritrea who was in a shipping container for two years. A great book to read. Uh, Nineteen ladies crammed into a 20-foot shipping container for night after night and week after week and month after month on end. And she's filled with joy in this shipping container amongst hardship and suffering. The reality of the gospel, the reality of Jesus Christ, has come from something just being head knowledge to a real experience of who God is. Let's pull this back then to Jeremiah as we think about this. What's the end result here as he he pulls this into mind at this time? Well, look uh, with me at the end of verse 24. He says this, Therefore I will hope in him. I will hope in him. God builds this amazingly strong hope in our hearts as we think of who he is. As we ponder and think deeply about his steadfast love and mercy that will never end, this breathes hope into our situation. It breathes hope into our life. As we think about his faithfulness and as we think about God as our portion and treasure, this fills us with hope despite the circumstances that we are experiencing at that particular time. So Jeremiah can sit here in the rubble of Jerusalem and have all these memories of brutality flash through his mind. All the mayhem and the destruction that he's seen and feel burdened by that, which he did. He expressed that through Lamentations. But then the gospel, the good news of who God is, spoke fresh overcoming power into his life and hope into his mind at that time he saw that the gospel was bigger and way more powerful than whatever I was facing in my life at that time. The gospel could help me to overcome that. That's what Jeremiah began to see. Then what's really important for us here as we think about this is we need to see ourselves in Jeremiah and Lamentations ourselves because we are in there. We are in there. Jeremiah is experiencing really a highlight. Well, sorry, what highlights for us our own now and not yet understanding of God's kingdom. What that means is this: God's kingdom is here. Jesus said when He came, "I, um, the kingdom of God is here." It is here. It's broken into this world, but it's not yet fully consumed this world. And actually, it's fully here. It's broken in in part, but it's not fully here at this stage. So we are living in broken times and we all experience that at different levels. Suffering included. We will suffer in this world in a whole range of ways. Younger people may not think, well, I haven't gone through too much suffering. Don't worry, it's coming, right? It's coming. You don't have to look for it, it'll find you. Some of us will suffer physically, some of us emotionally, some of us mentally, in many ways. Financially as well, you could throw any level of ways there that we will suffer. And in God's providence... He has allowed each of us to suffer the brokenness of this world in varying levels according to his infinite wisdom, which he knows is best for our lives. I'm not going to try and explain that today. That's a whole other talk. But in God's wisdom, where he allows this suffering to come into our lives, God doesn't want us to be crippled or paralyzed by our suffering circumstances. He doesn't want us to remain sitting on the rubble like I can't move. I'm stuck, I'm frozen, I can't do anything. He doesn't want us to be stuck in the dark hole of despair that comes with suffering. Everybody's journey will be different. It really will be. But God's will for us is to be moving forward in this life, not stuck on top of the rubble to move forward, to be equipped to know God and enjoy Him despite what we are going through. That's what God wants us to do. Let's look at a couple of things here, I think, that will help us in our suffering as we think about that. These things helping us uh, to see God's steadfast love. These things will help us to see His never-ending mercy. These things will help us to see his unfailing faithfulness, and also these things will help us to see that God is our lot, our portion, our treasure. Now, as I speak about these things in a couple of minutes, I don't say them lightly as a quick fix, like I just do this and it all just happens and goes away. I know suffering and travelling through it can be a very slow, slow, slow journey at times. Generally, there's no quick fixes to intense pain or intense suffering. It's just a gradual process often. Sometimes it's millimetre by millimetre each day, and that's about as far as you get. I know the journeys are all different. But I know this. I know this. Our mind plays a critical part of being strengthened through suffering and through challenge. How we approach our suffering with our mind is critical. What we do with our mind when we approach intense challenges and intense suffering is absolutely crucial to get through suffering. There's a couple of ways you can approach challenge or trials. You can do it positively, or you can do it negatively. Positively or negatively. To help us through these trials, we have to use the Holy Spirit's power to approach our trials as positively as possible. What do I mean, you may ask? What does that mean, positively? Have a look at this verse here in 1 Thessalonians with me. It says this in uh, chapter 5, 16, 18. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So give thanks in all circumstances. This is really powerful what Paul says there. Don't give thanks only when things are going your way and everything's all lining up. It's pretty easy often to give thanks, but often then we forget to give thanks in those situations. Paul's saying, give thanks in all circumstances. The good, the bad, the really ugly, the really painful, and the really dark. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. When we're suffering... It is so easy to be swallowed up by the situation. It just as, it just about starves us of breath. It just closes over us depending on what we're feeling. And the pain is real and it becomes all-consuming for us in the intensity of that challenge. And when it's like that, often all I can do is relive that painful conversation again. Well, all I can do is relive that painful experience experience again. It's like it just continues to dog my mind. I can't shift it out of my head. It's like it's on repeat. It just keeps going over and over and over. I can't shift it out. The negativity of that situation will crush us if we let it. It will crush us if we let it. What we've got to do is to learn with the Holy Spirit's help to be thankful in my suffering, with my mind, not thankful for the suffering, but thankful in the suffering. We need to uh, to approach our suffering with a mindset of thankfulness. Could look like this: you might get a text of encouragement or support, it just comes in on your phone right in the middle of it. Work hard to see that message, that text, whatever you get, as a gift from God right at that time and to be thankful for it. Express thankfulness. Uh, This happened to me about 20 years ago. It's it's vividly etched in my mind. I, I, I... I can't shake it, and it, it's just a glorious thing. Our youngest daughter was born with a um, a growth in her throat. Six weeks of age, she was airlifted twice to Melbourne for emergency, potential emergency surgery. I was driving backwards and forwards for about a week straight, dropped the two girls off to some other house, then just... I drove down to Melbourne and I got this text. I think it was about the second day of, of driving backwards and forwards. And it was from a friend called Andrew Corbett. The simplest thing Hey Todd, just heard what's going on. Mate, we're praying for you and we're keeping your family in your prayers. It was just the simplest little text but I just thank God for that because it just expressed to me. God loves me. God was caring for me through the agency of other people.